Welcome to the Nehemiah Entrepreneurship Community Podcast. I'm your host, Patrice Gay, and I'm here with, oh my goodness, my I have my two partners here in the studio. Sandra, Bill, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Patrice. Hi, Patrice. Good to see Hi. you, brother. Well, before I introduce you guys, so Sandra and Bill, um, we are continuing our discussion around the Joy Florida. This is part 16. So you are the 16th um, interview we've done around this issue where we are, um, our goal is to have redemptive discussion around race and justice, providing solutions and moving away from the soundbite narrative and the gotchas. And uh, we brought, we asked Bill and, uh, and Sandra to come on studio because they are educators. So we wanna deal with the the impact of education when it comes to to social justice uh, because um, as we all know education is the great equalizer and uh, and so we brought some two educators in the room who happen to be good friends of mine um, on their board of directors and uh, we we are partners in Christ right here in the Vancouver Washington area but before I introduce you guys so you have a nice painting back there Tell us about that. Your studio looks better than mine. So tell us about this painting. Well, this painting was actually made by our third graders uh, here at Cornerstone a few years ago. So they're no longer in third grade. But this was a collaborative um, artwork that we, our mascots is the lions. We are obviously a Christian school. And so the lions of Judah. And this um, actually, it looks beautiful, but it is so much more beautiful in person those eyes of that lion and they're beautiful and so they're an inspiration of, of what we do every day but this is what our kids can do yeah, i love it this represents the giftedness just, just a little bit of the giftedness of our, of our kids wow and we're going to learn about the school in a minute beautiful i was just showing off to bill and sandra when we first started about our kindle we claim her as ours, we've adopted her, and, and how sharp she is that cornerstone should be producing kids like Kindle. Uh, by yeah. the way, guys, you wouldn't believe who's watching us right now. We have Larry Stegman watching us. Larry, thanks for being here, man. Good to have you. And by the way, one of these days, Larry, when we get when we get all that deals together, we're gonna have you on the podcast. We can tell the world about it. Uh, Larry is a good friend of Bill, and uh, Bill connected with him my recently. We all three talking about some good deals. That'll be awesome. But let me introduce our friends and then we'll get into the discussion today. So I'm gonna start with Bill. Um, and, and I wanna, uh, you, you'll see kind of why I've had Bill, I've had Bill in the studio as I share his story. Uh, Bill uh, Gibbons is an educator, author, businessman, and entrepreneur who's dedicated his life to serving Jesus Christ. He began his career as, as an elementary school teacher then transitioned to a junior high, uh, junior senior high school reading specialist and administrator. During his 11 years in public education, he was twice uh, designated in different districts as Young Educator of the Year. He wrote a book published by Random House on how to increase student performance while lowering instructional costs. Now, one of the reasons why Bill is special for this is because Bill spent a number of years as an educator and leader within the urban community. And he has good experience, we're gonna talk more about that. Uh, he left public education to form a nonprofit research-based company to examine and create effective practices to increase student achievement. As a result of his research, he founded Host Learning, 
a for-profit corporation and served as CEO and chair of the board for 20 years, I mean, 29 years, sorry. The, cap the company was created to provide proven research-based solution to schools, districts across the nation. Under his leadership and the Holy Spirit, our host learning grew to become the third largest provider of su supplemental services in public schools in the nation. Was learning served over 1 million students in 44 states in Central America and was accorded the Blue Chip Award by the National Chamber of Commerce as one of the top entrepreneurial companies in America. Mr. Gibbons worked with national leaders in education, business, research, and politics. He was blessed to work with two United States presidents, congressional leaders, governors, to create high-performing, low-cost practices that advanced learning in low-achieving schools. Post was the only practice identified in the landmark legislation, No, no Child Left Behind. One of my favorite presidents, uh, George Bush, had that, um, that was his mantra, as a national model. After retiring from host learning in 2008, Mr. Gibbons was appointed superintendent of Portland Christian Schools. Uh, this is where uh, him and I met and you know, my girls go to school. He then later accepted the position of superintendent of Cornerstone Christian Academy for Learning and Leadership in Vancouver, Washington, where he served eight years um, there He's, 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 that, that school has become, under his leadership, one of the most technological advanced Christian schools in America. The school has grown to an average of 13% a year, and under Bill's leadership, uh, Cornerstone relocated to a new campus in 2018. Bill uh, Gibson stepped down as superintendent of the school in July 2019 to become chairman of the board of trustees and leader of the capital campaign. And by the way, as he stepped down, this beautiful lady that you see here is his replacement. Uh, Bill, you upgraded man. Uh, I, I like the second Bill a lot better. She's cuter. She's, and anyway. So, thank Bill, you. Thank you, Patrice. <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you. And we're going to talk about that transition in a minute. And, and uh, it, um, in all disclosure, I am also on the board of, of Bill and, um, and Sandra. Let me tell you about Sandra and, um, and, and why she was such a, a great catch for Bill. Sandra is a native of Argentina. Uh, she's a dynamic educator who has followed Jesus Christ throughout her life and declared him as her Lord and Savior. She received her degree as professor of mathematics from Consudec in Argentina and moved to the United States at a young age at 22 after marrying the handsome Mr. Yeager, who's a native of the local area. Sandra be began her career in the United States in banking. Interesting. After four years, she pursued her passion to teach and accepted a position at Jason Lee Middle School in Vancouver as a math teacher, then moved over to open Skyview High School as an assistant principal. Later, Sandra was appointed principal of the Vancouver School Arts and Academics. Academics. In 2000, she had the opportunity to move to the Hawkinson School District, where she helped the community transform Hawkinson into a K to a K to twelve school district through the opening of their high school. She devoted her heart to creating a high school built on the foundation of rigor, relevance, and relationships. Hawkinson High School opened in 2003 and graduated the first senior class under her leadership in 2006. The project will, will forever mark her as the most respected leader and team leader 
by her staff and community. In 2010, she moved to the Longview School District and became the principal of Monticello Middle School and a state-designated local performing school where she helped create a culture of commitment to improve school performance. Notice there, the parallel between those two, they're both really specialized, cut their teeth around bringing up, working in the low performance schools and bringing the, the, the students up academically. Uh, and, and so she's helped students in low, low performance schools improve academically, emotionally, and relationally. There was only one job we could persuade her to leave. And that job moved her back to Clark County in 2011, where she assumed the role of superintendent of Hawkinson School District. After 25 years in the public school system, God called Sandra to be part of Christian education, where she can openly share her passions, her love for Jesus Christ, family, and education. She will continue the vision of Cornerstone Christian Academy for learning and leadership by preparing Christian servant leaders who can excel in the world and rise to a position of significant influence to advance the kingdom of God. Sandra was recently appointed as a now holy board member to work with the school along with the community and national leaders to help design, roll out, and reproduce the cost-effectiveness scalability of Christian school excellence that can be replicated nationally and internationally. Wow. Sandra, welcome to the studio. Thank you, Patrice. Well, first of all, I, I thank both of you. Uh, you. We all are part of the same um, small group, uh, life group on the weekly basis. We had to invite Larry on that life group and discussed this many times but i wanted to have you guys come and just share your perspective on this George Floyd incident and then i want to talk about the importance of education in healing our social ills and raising up the the, the standard or making things more equitable uh for brown and black children but first let me ask you both um you know i i shared your your resume uh, you both uh, just amazing career uh, in education, uh, but we all three are kind of working on a number of partnerships. So let's help come our audience first understand kind of what we're working on. Tell them a bit about the vision bill of all his kids, and and how that organization is kind of looking to partner with the Amount Project. I want to kind of start this so they can see the connection here between what you're doing and what Nehemiah is doing and, and kind of where we're heading. You have this vision and as long as you can add to it as well. So, uh, uh, Bill, go ahead. Well, uh, thanks. It was a, a long introduction. Uh, people hopefully can skip past that and get to the meat. Okay, uh, but God is good. And uh, I do want to say one thing about Sandra. It took us two years to find Sandra. We, we did not settle for anything but what the Lord wanted and sandra was that person two years to find her and what a what a praise god for sandra's leadership here uh, i want to start off with the whole concept of vision uh, here's what we believe vision is and see if it resonates with you uh, vision is a holy discontent a deep dissatisfaction with what is combined with a clear grasp of what it could be it's a picture a mental sight of the future that inspires hope. Now, I'm going to review that one more time. Think about this. Vision is a holy discontent, a deep dissatisfaction with what is, 
combined with a clear grasp of what could be, it is a picture, a mental sight of the future that inspires hope. So with that in mind, uh, the Lord put in my heart a vision eight years ago that for a school that could really get to the heart of these kids and the formation of these kids as young men and women with a foundation in Christ, who know Christ, who have an understanding and a personal relationship with Christ, who can step into our communities and assume leadership, okay, from a biblical point of view. And quite frankly, that is our greatest interest in Nehemiah. We see the Nehemiah Project as a program that has incredible potential to impact this world, to advance the kingdom of God. By offering education uh, opportunities and improving educational opportunities, by providing commerce, by providing health and medicine uh, to communities across the world, that's what we need. You know, when we talk about George Ford, we're talking about people that need opportunities. And that's what Nehemiah provides, opportunities to establish biblical entrepreneurships, to engage commerce, to people employed in a Christian perspective, that formation of individuals with that kind of a background. Think of what the world could be like and how we could, what God could do in that kind of a scenario. It's, a, it's an amazing, uh, an amazing picture. And that's what we'd like to kind of talk about is that formation today. Wow. Sandra, do you have anything you want to share with that? As usual, very little after Bill uh, says these great things. I think that the partnership with Nehemiah is critical to have kids. One of the, the, the parts of our vision is that kids will deepen their their heart for their for, for the Lord when they serve. And serving is something that we would love to do all over the world. Um, that's when you see the impact, right? And so our hope is that uh, in partnership with Nehemiah and many others, we would give kids opportunities for internships uh, and an opportunity for service. I love it. Uh, th that's the bold vision, uh, Sandra. So how did you get to be involved or selected? I know the answer, but I want you to share with our audience um, as Bill's successor. And, uh, and what prepared you for this? Well, it's funny because if you would have asked me that question a year ago, I would have told you that obviously my, you know, I had all these experiences um, that that God could use uh, in order for me to take uh, this position at Cornerstone. And after just a few months, I can tell you that my answer completely flipped. I believe that God continues to put us in places where we need to continue to grow, and uh, and He gives us that opportunity. And so, yes, I do have experiences, obviously, in education as an educator, and I love, I've devoted my life to kids and students and, and rigorous and good education so kids can achieve their dreams. But, but God put me in this position to continue to grow me as well. There was areas of my life that, um, that I wasn't as in tune, and even we serve an amazing God that gives us opportunity to do that. So... Um, you know, I never, I always, you know, and I'll just share in a very vulnerable way. I mean, giving, for example, I've always had gift, but I never understood um, the need and the intent of God as we are really a good steward of the resources that he provides with us, uh, what to do with the resources that we have. 
So personally, having been at Cornerstone has grown me as a as a Christian to be a cheerful giver. Wow, that is incredible. Bill, I know it took you a while to find her. For those who are watching or listening and they're and they're kind of trying to glean from that experience, uh, what was the key uh, to Sandra that made you feel like that was the one for you? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> we interviewed a lot of people from all over the world. But uh, the, the reality is that uh, it was Sandra's heart. It's always the heart that makes the difference. You start there at the heart. And uh, uh, when I met her, I thought that uh, we were going to be, I thought I was going to help her maybe with some problems that she was having at her school district. And she thought she was going to help me. It was kind of a, <laughs> an interesting uh, environment. We had lunch together. And I thought, well, I would give her some sage advice and that our lunch would last maybe an hour, hour and a half. And then we'd go, we'd, go, we'd go on our way. And Sandra felt the same way. The reality was uh, when she opened up her discussion with me, she talked about the difficulties that she was having as superintendent and leading a public school system and dealing with the realities of some of the mandates uh, uh, that, that made it difficult to, to address her faith. And, 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 I, and that, that so impressed me that uh, uh, immediately it's like my, my spirit inside of me uh, just jumped. And uh, I went into an interview mode without her knowledge. Uh, and it got to the point that she was answering my questions before I even had a chance to, to uh, address them. So after a three hour meeting, uh, I, I Basically, I knew that Sandra was going to be my replacement. And so I asked her if she'd be willing to apply for my position. Interesting story. I called the chairman of the board at that time and said, we have found the superintendent. We have found the person. And, and I was excited. And she said, well, calm down, Bill. We've been looking for two years. Uh, you know, uh, I'm going to be out of town for, for uh, 11 days. Uh, Pat, would you just take the time to interview uh, Sandra? And, and so I'm on a mountain uh, in eastern Washington near the Canadian border and no cell service. And my, my cell phone goes off and it's, it's, it's my chair of the board. And she, she's shouting on the phone, you're right, you're right, this is a person. <laughs> so the miracle of, of there are so many miracles in that. And it's, you know, uh, if you follow Christ and, you, uh, and you're, uh, receptive to the things of God and the Spirit, he'll show you. And indeed, uh, Sandra has more than met our expectation. And that she has. Got to stay humble here. <laughs> she's, she's done that. She's done that indeed. Um, Sandra, before we get into the Joe Flow discussion, by the way, uh, if you want to, we invite you to participate in our conversation. You can text in your questions, um, make your comments, and um, you know you can participate here. This is a dialogue. What are you watching on Facebook, on YouTube, whatever channel you're watching? And if you're watching this uh, uh, when it's not live, you can always uh, email us at, at, at the office. Uh, Larry Stegman uh, says this, I've, I've always been supportive of intern, pro intern programs. Uh, I'm an example of one who was available with a company um, and Arizona State University that helped me become an engineer and project manager. Can you share how integrating urban growth with education and capitalism can possibly be our teacher? Wow. 
I love that. We're gonna get to that, Larry. That's a good question. Don't don't answer that question. Right, you know, I have to say one thing, Larry. It, it, it's more than possible. If we don't change education to address those issues and deal it straight on, there will uh, we will no longer we'll be a third world nation. We have to do that. Amen. Ed education needs to transform and it needs to do it immediately. Amen. Amen. And we'll get to it. Okay. Uh, let me ask you a question. So. Um, there are some people who may be watching or listening to this, and, and they're saying, but Bill took a great Christian educator out of the public schools. Um, so what hope does that leave for those Christians or those non-Christians in the public school system? What do you say to that? I can answer that. I think that um, God, you know, when we move, because the Holy Spirit is moving us. Uh, this isn't a surprise for the Lord. You know, when you have people that follow the purposeful plan that God puts in front of them, God has the next person. So I believe that um, that in the bigger picture, God clearly has taken care of that. So I, not a surprise to the Lord. So um, I think there's a lot of wonderful Christian people. I've, I met many, I hired many. Um, and I are also some non-Christian people that are also doing a, a fantastic job with our kids every day. So um, I don't see that as a as a negative thing, uh, unless you know. I always say we don't leave, we go, right? Which are two different things. Uh, if we are moving towards what God wants for our life and purposefully, prayerfully doing it, uh, I think it can never be the wrong thing. Ah, uh, I love it, Bill. The, the void in public education is Christ, right? And we we understand that. We're we're not we're we're, we're not um, going to get into an argument about that. However, uh, we feel that that void is why we're in a Christian school. We believe that that we can provide quality education with the foundation being Jesus Christ, and we can prepare leaders for the future by giving them opportunities that uh, are not being provided, quite frankly, in our public schools for a lot of different reasons, okay? We don't, we don't have the, 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 uh, the rigorous requirements. Uh, we don't have uh, 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 the kind of uh, uh, agenda that, uh, that a lot of public schools have to address. We can focus on what we know about what we know about learning, how to accelerate learning, what kind of uh, programs that we need to provide, the training that we need to give our, our teachers. We can put that together e extremely quickly and we can produce a level of education that, that we think is outstanding. But at the center of that are, are young men and women who have a personal relationship and knowledge and can defend their faith in Christ. And th that's how we believe we're gonna impact the world. Quite frankly, the church is doing a you know, they're doing a great job, but they can only meet with these children maybe three or four hours a day. We get these kids seven hours a day, five days a week. Who's going to have more impact for Christ? I love it. So let's get into the, to the George Floyd situation so we can get to Larry's question. Um, so what, what's your take on this George Floyd incident? And how do you, what do you think of the, of the response of the nation? You want to go with that first? I could do that. You know, I... Um, I saw the whole video, the eight minutes and 46 seconds. Um, I can't imagine anyone watching that 
and not and not be emotionally touched by the experience that ended the life of George Floyd. Um, it's unacceptable and it is undeniable something that it cannot be argued, right? As a human right is a so for me that that was I mean that was obviously a very sad day. I um, I you know I expected to see the response that that we received after that, um, and I'm and I am happy that in a way that people did so because I unfortunately in other times um, you know maybe because of lack of technology it was something that somebody told but being able to see it. Um, it can't not cause an impact in, in someone's heart. Um, and I think that potentially that may be why this time um, it had the social response that it did. Um, Bill. Well, I think it, it's absolutely tragic. I could not believe uh, it, 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 left an, it left an indelible imprint in my head. Uh, and. Uh, it, to me, it creates a national platform now where we can bring people together, leaders from all different races. We can come together. We can talk about the things that we need to be able to do, and especially, especially Christian leaders. I think leadership is lacking in our country, right? I mean, Martin Luther King was absolutely one of the greatest leaders that the world has ever seen. And... And I, I keep thinking to myself, if Martin Luther King was alive today, how would he have handled this? What would have happened? What, he, yes, you can look at the man and what and what what formed that man's heart. What what his beautiful dream speech? What what motivated that? I believe that the heart of that was Jesus Christ. Okay, and so if we get back to the heart. Okay, and the issues of the heart, and we can address those issues in dialogue with people and give people opportunity that they don't have now. And, and quite frankly, that's what the Nehemiah Project is all about, is creating opportunity, providing training, providing economic opportunity, providing education, providing for, uh, uh, help. Those are all issues that we need to address and do a better job of. So I'm glad that the nation can come together. but. But remember when I talked about vision, I gave you that definition of vision. Remember this, that vision without action is merely a dream. And action without vision is a nightmare. But vision combined with action can change the world. And that requires leadership, strong leadership. We need to rise up. We need to lock on with our fellow brothers and sisters and come together and take an action, okay? But let Christ be the center of that action and how we approach it and how we conduct ourselves. The, it, in, in Proverbs 29:18, it talks about where there is no vision or revelation, my people perish. When a society lacks revelation or a vision from God, a divine insight, if you will, such a society is moving towards anarchy spiritual and political anarchy people cast off restraint and that's what's happening now okay i don't see 
I see people that desire to come to the table, people with great vision. We need to, we need to come together. We need to rise up as leaders. We need to say enough is enough and put our faith in action. And, and, I, and I'm all about that. And so we believe that education is, is the critical piece of that puzzle. All right? So uh, scripture in the very beginning says we are made in the image of God. God created man and woman in his image. If indeed you believe that and you profess that, how can you justify what you saw took place with George Floyd? And I would like to say that, you know, what we saw with George Floyd is one incident of, you know, a long history that obviously is part of the, the tapestry of, of, you know, the American history. So bring in awareness. I mean, when you look at the amount of this movement that is just is taking place, it tells you that there is a, a huge need. There's a tremendous need that people are voicing. And certainly, uh, I am supporter of our United States rights, and I do believe that people have the right to protest. Um, certainly do not condone any violence, uh, but I think that the majority of the people here are saying, you know, what Bill just basically said, it's enough. Uh, one of the things that I look in education is when we look at students' results, is what was the cost there? So we're really good at times as looking at the data, and you'll hear that in today's uh, information. You know, this is the many lives that happened. This is, you know, whatever data you want to look at. But, but we seldom look at what is causing the result that we're getting. So that's where, for me, is the answer. is not so much looking at what is the data, so how many, you know, deaths happen for this from police to blacks, from police to whites to police to whatever, or blacks on blacks and blacks on white. All the data, I like to, to step back and look at the cause. And I think that's the request. And I think that's where the answer is. For those conversations to happen, we need grace. We need grace because I'm not sure um, if we know how to have those conversations. So for me, it's about repentance from things that we did or things that our nation did or things that our past generations did. Um, but then also there is, a, there is a need for forgiveness. And then that conversation can take place, hopefully with grace, because we're probably going to say it the wrong way. And what I would really be sad is if we don't move forward because of fear of now offending someone, right? So how do we have those conversations? And I think that for me, again, you go back to, to the core, right? Thankfulness in, in, in some ways and, and repentance and forgiveness and grace and hope. Uh, those are such pillars on our faith. And that's why for me is, is at the center, if we can keep Jesus at the center, uh, this could be a time that is an answer to prayer for a lot of people. Wow, awesome. So what are your sense of the way Nehemiah has responded to it? Um, you, you read, I know some, you read our response. What's yeah. your response? Well, I would tell you what I loved about the response of Nehemiah is that it really talks about what can Nehemiah do from what Nehemiah does. And um, 
I have two daughters and they, they've heard me many times over time of talk about our circle of influence, right? So we all, we can all have a part if we really look at what is in our circle of influence, what can we do? Um, if we always look at the solution outside or well, until Congress does this or the government does this or this, is the answer is never going to happen. The true change happens with each one of us. That's why when you look at Sometimes other times in the history of the United States and different times similar to this, uh, probably for me that the difference, and I haven't been here um, as you know as long as many other people have, but for me the difference is is seeing that the streets are are, are filled not with just uh, black people, but really black and white and people of all races supporting this because it's about a human race. So I. I think that the, the opportunity is so is so here for for all of us to really do something different. But it cannot be outside of us. It needs to be in each of us. What's our circle? So what happens in our work? Was it starts in our home? What conversations are we having um, about you know what is happening and the fairness of what we can do? Um, so if we can start even from our small. Place, I think we can all do better. Wow, I love it. You yeah. had a podcast with Charlie, okay? Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, I think that's the greatest uh, solution I've ever heard. Uh, I, I want to commend you on that. Uh, I want to meet uh, Charlie and, and Charles, uh, Pastor Charles. Uh, great faith is a product of, of great fights, okay? And great testimonies are the outcome of great tests. And uh, the fact that you use Joseph, you exemplified his life, uh, Joseph, and his trials and his tribulations, his vision, his betrayal, his forgiveness, all of that is what we, is, re is real for us. We as a nation need to go through those steps as well. Mm. So I think that now is the time up, now is the time to step up as believers in Christ, to come and set forth a platform that will allow for this healing to take place and for change to occur. We know what we're prepared to do in education, and we think that, that it, it, um, it's, it's tragic that this incident had to occur, but out of it can come something very great. It's tragic that Jesus Christ had to die on the cross, but out of that situation, and the vision that God had for his son was death. Okay? But out of that, we have life eternal. So if we live life from an eternal perspective and we begin looking at life through the eternal eyes, we're going to change. And so we need to step up as a, as a nation, our, our leaders, uh, to come together in Christ. And, and, uh, and Nehemiah provides an incredible platform to, to lead uh, this country. I, I, I truly believe it. I mean that, uh, uh, Patrice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that, guys. Uh, so let's go to Larry's question. So Larry asked the question earlier, can, can you share how integrating urban growth with education and capitalism can possibly be our future? You want me to handle that first? Okay. Well, Larry's absolutely correct. Uh, our vision in our high school would be that students would 
uh, be in high school maybe two days a week, and then they would do internships in the community. And, uh, and, and, the, and the, the theme of our high school would be in search of truth, all right? It would be run like a university, uh, uh, and the teachers would be uh, would teach their course subject uh, maybe um, uh, in two-hour block schedules, uh, two days a week, and then the students would be required to do their internships. And uh, uh, in that experience, they would we, we would do what we call an authentic assessment, a portfolio. Can you imagine actually maintaining a portfolio to demonstrate that you have knowledge? Isn't that the world of work? Isn't that what we have, are required to do, okay, is to have a portfolio or a resume? And we can give those kids those opportunities by doing that. We can take their giftedness and their passions and we can put them into environments to allow them to explore that, to see if indeed that is really what they want to do or become, all right? You know my background, uh, uh, don't you, Patrice? You know that I, I, that I taught in a black community and that, that I don't think I taught those kids very much, but they taught me everything, okay? And we set up, uh, uh, I had, it was a situation where, where the kids didn't even want to come to class, all right? When I, when I arrived, uh, uh, it was an amazing thing. And what we did was we set up a store and the kids had to set up a, a, a determine uh, how much profit they could make and how much profit the, the store could make. And so we let kids go out and uh, we, we, we brought in uh, tools like sewing machines, uh, stove, uh, refrigerators, uh, um, models, and kids would go to the store, they'd have to read uh, the, the, uh, the directions uh, on, the, on how to prepare the food. They'd have to, if they made something, how much they could sell it for and how much would go back to the store. So they had to use math. We, we involved them in their passion, in their interest. This was 30 some years ago, it made national news. And, and, uh, and we, we have taken that concept now to the point where we want kids to have internships with business leaders. Uh, and we believe that by doing that, uh, that that motivation will be intrinsic, that these kids will be so encouraged by this. For instance, this painting, these third graders that created this, all right, they, they love art, okay? And if we can give kids opportunities to explore that through education, and then in the uh, then we're doing a good thing. And in the second half, there'll be two halves of high school. In the second half of high school, they'll be required to do an internship outside in a third world country. Okay? That is to understand what servant leadership is. That, can, I think, will probably be the most dramatic piece of our educational experience. All of this will be a fully accredited school. Uh, uh, so it's a little different. It's a lot different than what's happening in, in Christian education. And our goal is to create a virtual uh, high school uh, where we can work with uh, educators and communities across the world. Our goal is to impact uh, the kingdom through Christian education. And so we, we want to create uh, this concept through a virtual approach. And that's why, again, we, we want to line up with Nehemiah. I like to say too, because some people will say, well, sure, you can do all that. That's a that's a private school, so tuition. So how do we reach kids that can't afford you know this type of education? So how do we provide? So I was actually so surprised, happily surprised when I came here uh, of the amount of tuition assistance that this school gives to family with low income. 
And we are trying to constantly, you know, improve that process to truly have the funds to help families in need. Um, so our hope is that we can do this, you know, certainly for tuition in, in some places and maybe in places in the world, we can provide a virtual education where maybe there is no tuition or we can do this in, in a way that kids can. Uh, one of the things that we, we joke a little bit about here is that if Jesus was alive today, he should be able to attend our school. So we really keep our, our, our heart and our mind in trying to help those families with low income. Wow. Uh, there's a piece of legislation. By the way, uh, racism is not going to be um, eliminated through legislation. It's never going to happen. It comes through people, it comes through heart, all right? But legislation can help us in areas provide opportunities. And one of the great things, it, it's an irony to me why communities, especially black communities, cannot exercise the opportunity to send their kids to a school of their choice, all right? to get a quality education. It could be private education, it could be public education, but they should be able to choose. And so there's a, 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 there's a case before the Supreme Court right now in Montana that if approved would provide funding where the, the child, wherever the child goes, the funding would follow. So parents could indeed attend a school of their choice and use this money uh, to participate. We think that that kind of uh, policy as it relates to what the government can do to, uh, to bring about change can be very helpful. So as you, as you know, Patrice, I'm from a different country, so my rear view mirror is a little bit different. Um, and certainly I do not, you know, it's, it's really difficult comparing, right? Uh, so I'm not trying to compare, but but from a different place with a different history, education is always the equalizer. And kids need to have the opportunity to high quality education. Um, so they have choice, so they can choose their future. Um, and that's where, you know, why I committed my entire life, my professional life, to devote my heart to education. Uh, but I couldn't agree more with Bill. You cannot legislate a righteous heart. That's where it starts with each one of us. So. How can we see the righteous, the fairness, the, the consistency? And I think that um, that it, this is a, an opportunity, probably um, one very important opportunity in our lifetime, and I hope we, we use it well. Wow, wow. Here's what, by the way, Larry is the uh, founder and president of um, Few Only Laboratory, which is FOLL, is a partner of Cornerstone and we work with Neymar Project as well, and a tremendous entrepreneur doing a lot of things around the world. We're going to have Larry in the studio sometimes uh, soon. Here's what Larry said. You would not be human to not feel the confusion at the, at the moment. No question. The raw news footage uh, lands on the people already under fear and confusion of viral oppression. The reaction was fueled by evil, inciting the evil in the hearts of all men. We are only protected by, by releasing our will to God. To grace, God brings love to do his work, even in the middle of evil heart, love can be a light. What a great insight there. Bill, you served a predominantly black community for several years as a teacher. Yes. That, I'm sorry, how many years? Well, uh, 
five years in this community and and, and then uh, five uh, six years in another community yes how experience for you and what do you what do you draw from that that we can learn today as we look at this whole race issue situation uh, patrice as you know uh, uh, i dropped out of high school because i was bored to death okay and it was only by god's grace that a teacher came out and got me out of the fields I was even an entrepreneur. I contracted the hay fields and worked with farmers and pick up their hay and put it in their barns. And um, this teacher came out and got me out of the fields and brought me back and uh, to school. And he turned my life around. He believed in me. And uh, I, I flunked every subject in my sophomore year. In my senior year, he put me in with all the smart kids, which I was scared to death. And there were six of the smartest kids in our, in our high school. And, I, and I, he put me in that class. And he told me I had potential and that I could do it. I worked my rear end off of that guy and I earned a four point. And that stuck with me all the way through college. He told me to go to college. And, and I- Let me, let me intersect this. What Bill just said is critical because research will tell you that one adult can change the trajectory of a child's future. Amen. And that one adult for Bill was that teacher. But we are all, we can all be that adult. That's important. That's the kind of teachers that we look for, okay? And it starts with the heart. It starts with the heart. But yeah, the, the, the community I taught in, um, let me give you an example of the, um, the situations that we had. We had uh, $5,000 of glass breakage in my first year in the school. This is an elementary school. And that was many years ago, so $5,000 was a lot more money than that. That was 30 some years ago, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, I, I don't know how to, to say this. Um, if you love the kids and you demonstrate by your actions that love, what you may not lack in your, your experience and knowledge and education will be made up for. Okay? They need to first know how much you care before they know how much you know. Okay? <laughs> and and so these kids, uh, I'll give you an example. One of the girls in my class, her mother was a prostitute, and she wanted to be able to take birth control pills uh, and have as many boyfriends as her mother. Okay? Wow. She became my homeroom mother, by the way, because uh, no one would, would want to take the homeroom uh, position. Uh, now, uh, you could judge her, and many people did. Okay, and if you did, you would be a failure. You, you, uh, that community would hate you. Okay, there were so many things going on in that community. I, I couldn't find a black man that had a decent job. The closest I could find was a guy that delivered bread. Okay, and I would bring them in to class to share uh, what they did and their work and what kind of work they did. In my Washington State history book, which we taught, uh, I could not find a single African-American where they would identify. I had to do my own research and found out that the first lieutenant governor in the state of Washington was African-American, okay? George Washington Bush, that's what his name. <laughs> Is that an irony or what? They kicked him out of the Oregon Territory and he moved across the Columbia River and he helped people when they would come in. He didn't hold the grudge. 
he reached his hand out and he helped the settlers as they were moving up uh, uh, from the Oregon Territory into Washington. He was so popular, they elected him to be the first black lieutenant governor in the state of Washington. Okay, what we have a responsibility as educators to be able to share and, and, and involve people and show them the, 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 the contributions that every culture has made to make this nation great. We're only great because of the, of the, the efforts of all of us combined together to make this nation great. So uh, the, many of my students, um, I'll give you another example. I had a student, the toughest child in my, in my uh, class. He was a sixth grader. And uh, this young man could broad jump 17 feet. He won. He was a national AAU champion in the long jump and softball and the 50-yard dash. Okay, but he was tough, and his and his dad was not in his life. And so many of my families, the dads were not present. Okay, and so um, I, I I don't know what I just I, I love these kids and. We had an assembly, and a new teacher, uh, uh, just right out of college, came and uh, was at the assembly. And uh, one of the students came running out of the classroom and said, "Mr. Gibbons, Mr. Gibbons, you got to, you got to come. Uh, there's going to be trouble." And I walked in, and and this teacher had asked this student, uh, who was chewing gum, stop the, the the assembly and made the student stand up and put the gum on his nose. He wouldn't do it. Now, if you push the student against the wall, he'd come out fighting. But he was a beautiful young man and a gifted athlete and a, and a gifted student all the way around. But he he was, when he got that look in his eyes, you did not challenge him. And so I asked Mike to come out with me into the hallway and I asked the teacher to come out with me. And I looked at Mike and I said, this teacher is new. She's invested four years of her life in education, and she's made a huge mistake. And I looked at the teacher and I said, you made a huge mistake. You never embarrass a student like that. You never degrade a person like that. But if you, but Mike, I'm gonna ask you to do something. And by the way, I never, seen, I never saw Mike cry. I'm gonna ask you to put that gum in your nose and go back in there. I hate to have you do that, but if you don't, this teacher will have no control this will be her last day because every student will challenge her. Out of the goodness of his heart, Mike starts to cry. He looks at me and he puts that gum on his nose and he walks into there, okay? I hated to do that, but Mike understood the situation. He assessed it and he did it, all right? To this day, Mike is 66 years of age. He is my son. We still stay in contact. I just got a letter from another one of my students, okay, who uh, got into cocaine and quit school in the 11th grade. Went to prison for 15 years, all right? And uh, I haven't seen him for 53 years. We connected just two days ago, all right? And he's coming down to see me. And we talked about so many of the experiences that we had. Today, he is a leader in his community. He is a, he, he is, he's into construction. He uh, owns a car dealership. Uh, he's a... Uh, a young, he's 65 years old, he's, not, he's a young 65, okay? And he's making impact in his community. He's sharing his story. That's what we need. And by the way, he's a born again believer. That's what turned his life around. 
those are the kind of stories that we need to hear and the kind of people that need to step up and recognize that they have a responsibility in our communities to make a difference. That's why we want to educate these kids, provide a superior education, and that would be the foundation of a Christ-centered life. Okay, so they can step into roles of leadership in their community with Christ as the center, the foundation of them. So, I hope that we've come a long way since the time that we asked the kids to put a gun on their nose, though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, we had, I had, we had teachers that were beaten up right in the classroom by parents. Okay, why? Because they judged the kid or they judged the parent. You don't do that. Uh, one last story I'll tell you. Uh, we had a student who uh, would come to school and he had body odor. And so the the principal uh, kept sent, uh, sent him to the office and he sat in the office. Uh, and then he went home, he ran home. The dad came in and the dad was huge, uh, about 6'4", about 300 pounds. And he asked to speak to the principal and the receptionist there uh, said, I'm sorry, he's busy. And he gently picked up this secretary with one hand and moved her to the side, opened up Mr. Dillon's door, grabbed him by the tie, he was on the phone, grabbed him by the tie, drug him across the desk and said, I brought my kid here for you to learn him, not to smell him, and then gently set him down. Okay? He was right. He was right. We wound up letting that, what Mr. Dillon, well, I can't say the name, what, what that person didn't know was that this student, they lived in a home, they had no plumbing, it was dirt floors, okay? And so I'm just, these stories just resonate with me so powerfully. We then used the school's locker room uh, and shower and, the, and, the, and he could take his shower in there. One more story. Uh, we had a rule in high school, in a junior high, I taught, well, I, I uh, was a football coach, and uh, we had a very simple rule. If you miss a practice, you don't play the game. And, uh, and believe me, these kids wanted to play the game. And so one of my, my tight end, who was about 6'2", and, and just an awesome kid, didn't show up for practice. I'm thinking, and we have a, our toughest game coming up. He's not there. I'm thinking, all of a sudden, uh, I see him coming out and he's running. I don't notice a towel wrapped around his arm. So I tell him to take a lap. And so he takes a lap. When he comes back, this towel is now red. It's no longer white. It's red. And blood is dripping off his fingertips. And I looked at Carl. And then I looked behind me. And I'm seeing police cars surround the, the, uh, the uh, football field. And the police start coming in from a different direction. I look at Carl and I said, Carl, tell me, what did you do? What happened, Carl? What would happen? He said, I robbed a bank. I said, what? <laughs> He's an eighth grader. He stuck his hand through that flat plate glass and he played his arm all the way up to his elbow. And he grabbed and he grabbed cash and he ran out. So I went over to the, I happened to recognize the, the sergeant and his name was Ples. And I asked Ples, I said, uh, Ples, please leave. I understand, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll bring him by. No, we need to take it. No, you can't. Look behind you. And behind him, the Black Panthers were coming in. Okay? Because the one more than one vehicle in that community was a police uh, a police officer. The Black Panthers were on it. All right? So it could have been a war right there. But they backed off. I took Carl in. And, and 
but again, we were able to engage the community. We were able to talk with the, with the police, to work with the police, to work with the community. The community center there was an incredible place. And we worked with the community center and we engaged them and we provided opportunities for kids, for parents, for education. Uh, and th this was a public school. So I cut my teeth in an environment like that. And I'm glad these kids taught me so much, okay? They taught me how not to judge. They taught me how to love. They taught me uh, uh, how to, uh, no matter how difficult the circumstance, the situation, uh, they taught me perseverance. And, and that set into motion uh, the, the man that I am today. I owe it to these kids at, at this school for five years. It was an incredible experience, and I love it. I would never I think that, just to kind of wrap up, is, is the idea that in education or in anything, every, ones of our, every word that comes out of our mouth, is, it's either going to lift someone up or it's going to put someone down. That's right. So how do we choose the impact that we have? And nobody's perfect, but 90% of the time, our words are, or even 95, right? Our words are words of, of hope, words of possibility, and, uh, and words of uplifting uh, a situation. I think we're always going to be causing um, a different impact. And then also really looking at not just, again, not just what someone does, but what is causing those actions. What is the pressure that takes a, a young person to do whatever it is that a young person of any color, by the way, will do? Because um, humans are humans. And so how do we look at creating a different opportunity, but then really having a conversation so, the, so we change the result of what happens to kids um, that you know, particularly kids of color, how do we change what happens to kids? Uh, I don't want a kid of color to be afraid when they see a police car. I want them to feel protected. And, uh, you know, and that doesn't happen right now. So how do we change that? And we change that by our actions. We change that by our heart and how we how we act in each, in each case to, to ensure that the result is different. If we don't change what we do, we're going to end up in the same place, right? Wow. Uh, Patrice, I, I have to say one other thing. I, I, you know, we talk about government and the place of government, and uh, and I'm not a big government guy, but but <coughs> government can make a difference. Uh, but I think government has made a tremendous mistake here in some areas. Uh, in essence, the black community has come to rely upon the government, okay? And, 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 and uh, almost an entitlement. And, that is destroying, in many cases, uh, communities, not helping. Uh, I'll give you an example of this. One of my students, uh, uh, another student, uh, uh, he, in the eighth grade, he said, uh, Billy said, uh, I don't need, I, I said, what are you going to do when you graduate? Well, I'm, I'm just going to go on welfare like my parents. Okay, he had eight brothers and sisters, and, and their plans were, we're just going to go on welfare. And I said, no, Carl, you've got a brain. You can, you can amount. By the way, this kid was in special education. They put him in special education. Okay, he just didn't care. Okay, and uh, uh, so we talked about it. We talked about what it meant to, to get a job. Uh, the uh, the feeling of, of being a, a, a provider and 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 uh, being an entrepreneur. Um, 
this young man, after he, he stayed through, he did graduate from high school, he came down and he asked me to help him get a job. And so we got him a job and he was a roofer on a, on a roofing crew. And, uh, and then uh, he went from there and he drove a, a Pepsi truck, okay? And, uh, and then one day he called me, he said, Mr. Gibbons, he said, I'm gonna buy the, the apartment complex that I'm in. And uh, uh, will you help me? Will you counsel me and advise me what I do? And I said, sure. Okay, so he wound up buying this apartment complex. Today, this guy is an entrepreneur. This is a kid in special education, okay? All right? That wanted to go on welfare and, and support himself. I'm telling you, we need to give kids more opportunities. Biblical entrepreneurship is a great course that I know a guy that can teach that, that I'm talking to right now. So I think, too, that when when we talk about different kids, I mean, I, I think that what Bill says is not just true for, uh, you know, for the black community, it's true for, for, for any kid of poverty, right? So how do we help an economy that really provides the opportunity for all kids? And, you know, when I look at what's happening today, I think there's a process, right? And it's a process even in the conversation. Um, and, and people will have because of their own personal pain, their own personal experiences, their own family background, some of you know 400 years of, of difference in history, will take different amount of time to arrive to a place. But my my hope, and I hope to see it in my lifetime, is that we never have to say this for blacks or this for whites or this for Hispanic. That we could say this for people, right? And, and again, I think we can't. I think there's a danger of jumping immediately there, of not acknowledging the past for so many people that have been suffering um, and change a reality. But but I would hope that in my lifetime we could get to that place where where we no longer have to talk about the specific color of our skin. Wow. Well, that, I mean, that you guys, the richness of what you guys provide is incredible. We're going to have to have you guys back because, as you know, I didn't finish all of my questioning. But the essence of what, you, what you're giving us is that education can be a tool. That can, that can be a good equalizer. But not only that, it can also rid ignorance um, as well as bring us up a scene of so. My last question to you guys, and then we're going to have you guys come back in the future so we can just talk about your process. Are you still hopeful? Why, why, why not? Who wants to start? Listen, if you don't know and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I would think that you would see there is no future. <laughs> All right, but you know, God so loved His Son um, that He gave Him to us, sacrificed for us, and it's not going to be any different for us. We need to sacrifice for our younger generation. We need to reach out and touch lives. Every child is gifted. Every child, God creates every child with a gift. Okay. We need to allow education to explore that gift and use that gift as a means of instructing that child and, 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 and motivating that child and giving them opportunities to, to understand and explore those gifts in education. We need uh, 
uh, this whole concept of education is turned backwards, uh, 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 Patrice. I don't want to get into a great deal of uh, debate, but, but when you think about education, today we started 200 years ago with a semester system, right? Time was the constant, okay? And it still is today. You go through, you go through high school, eight semesters, you get your degree, okay? You can get a D minus and still graduate, okay? And learning is the variable, okay? What's wrong with that construct? That's the way all of our schools are set up. That's just the direct opposite of what we're going to be doing. We're going to make learning the constant, and time is going to be the variable, okay? Not all kids have to spend uh, four years in, in high school. There are many kids that can come out in two years and come out in a, in a STEM program or a college program uh, as a sophomore in college as well, if they're emotionally and socially ready, okay? On the other hand, it may take a child five years to get through high school, so what, okay? But when they complete, they will have be prepared, whether it's in a vocation or on to college, and that's what we need to do in education, and we need to redefine what education looks like, okay? And that's why we've invested so heavily in the things that we are doing the training of our teachers, the professional development, the use of technology. Technology is just a tool. It's not everything, it's just a tool. We establish what our learning priorities are and then we use technology to help us with those priorities. But if you don't think technology is not important for the future for these kids, you got another thing company. And if you don't allow kids to experience that and use technology and have it, and every child should have their own device, you're making a mistake, okay? But I, I won't get on my soapbox anymore. <laughs> So I'll just finish here by saying that if we think personally of any time that we face a struggle or a challenge um, without hope, we cannot get to the other side, right? So we get overwhelmed or we feel that there is no path. It is hope that gives you that fight, that grit, that opportunity. And I just, I am hopeful for the future. I think this challenge is an opportunity. And I think we need to Amen. take it. And Amen. we need to take it yep. in God's name. Yep. And uh, which is the, he is hope. He is the instrument of hope. Amen. So the gospel is the answer. Yep. Well, I, I'm going to ask you a question, uh, Patrice. Scripture says that faith, hope, and love, which is the greatest? Faith, hope, or love? What's the greatest? Love. 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 Okay. Can't leave out the word love. Okay. Can't leave out the word love, can we? So why do you think? That love is the greatest. Faith and hope. Why do you think love is the greatest? Because it never fails. You got that. Okay. And and, and so our, our, our faith is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. We see the result of our faith. We see the result of hope. But love will be for eternity. It will be throughout all of eternity. Okay. When we experience Jesus firsthand, when, we, when we're in heaven, our faith will be realized, our hope will be realized, but love will last for eternity. We need to be more loving, okay? Our education needs to take those things into consideration. And by being loving, I don't mean being easy. We need to challenge our kids in love, okay? Let them grow. Let them be magnificent human beings that God created them to be. Allow them to reach their potential. Grow them love them, nurture them, 
I love it. Everybody, give a hand clap to Sandra Yager and Gibbons. Thank you so much for those of you watching. And hey, listen, do us a favor, uh, share this. All right. If you enjoy this podcast, share with your friends, with family, with your circle of influence, because the only way we're going to change a narrative is that we share good stuff and that we listen to good stuff so we can hear in full plane and context and so forth. So before we close out, uh, guys, if somebody listening or watching, they want to get in touch with you, either because they live in the Vancouver, Portland area, they want to take your kids to your school, or they want to partner with you, whether financially or strategically, because they love what you're doing. How do they get in touch with you? Well, uh, you can get a hold of Sandra at Cornerstone Christian Academy for Learning and Leadership. By the way, we changed the name of that, Cornerstone Christian Academy for Learning and Leadership. <laughs> okay, Learning and Leadership. To me, that's where it's at. Uh, and uh, Sandra, what's our address here? CCAK112.net is our um, website, and you can find us there, and you will have all the information. Again, CCAK12.net. Awesome. Team, put it up, please. CCAK12.net. Correct. Awesome. Awesome. Get in touch with them, plug in so you can be a part of what's going on. But we'll have them back down the line. We launched their online platform as we talk about our partnership. We will have Larry on in studio as well as we work, we work on some dynamic things with Larry as well on creating economic engine that will fund some of I'm sorry. Thank you. Oh, Patrice, no, thank you. Just for your for the purpose of your audience, um, our relationship with Nehemiah really involves several factors. One. Yes, education, we're bringing that to the table, Christian education, okay? And Larry uh, would be uh, uh, bringing health and medicine. And and Nehemiah, of course, is providing a platform for entrepreneurship and leadership. We think that if we approach uh, communities with that combination, improved health, improved education, and improved commerce, that, that everyone will win, okay? And it's all... It's all from a biblical point of view, okay? From a loving, Christ-centered point of view. What what community wouldn't want to do this? Why wouldn't they? So, man, that, that's, that's the challenge. Amen. Pray. And prayer. Don't forget to pray, guys. Pray, Amen. pray, pray. Without ceasing, pray. God responds to prayer. I love it. Those are partners, guys. I love it. Now, don't go anywhere yet because we're going to watch the video in a minute. But before we do, let me wrap it up. So if you want more information about the Neymar Project, you want to connect with us so that we can work with you in training, coaching, and access to capital, wherever you are around the world, just visit our website, nehemiahproject.org. Nehemiahproject.org. You can also go to nehemiahecommunity.com nehemiahecommunity.com. Having said that, let me leave you with this. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord cause and enable you to use those talents that you've placed, he's placed under your care to steward them in such a way that one day you can hear those wonderful words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Guess what? He's going to make you rule over much. God bless you. Watch this video. See you at Nehemiah Week.
Nehemiah Week is an annual event designed to equip entrepreneurs and leaders from around the world to inspire and to honor marketplace leaders for their accomplishments and what they're doing to model Christ in the marketplace. God is doing incredible things at Nehemiah Week. Ladies and gentlemen, God has called us to be a light for Him, to be an example for Him, to be a model for Him so that as others see us, not hear us, but see us, they can see a model of Christ. Yeah, each year at Nehemiah Week, we, we gather uh, the, the nations. Our vision is to transform the marketplace with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, one entrepreneur at a time. We have learned uh, to do business uh, in a good way. Uh, I will actually spread this to our church as well. Through the course of Nehemiah Week includes information around um, principles of biblical entrepreneurship, so really looking at biblical economics. What we've learned this week is, is about training. A Nehemiah uh, project is about training and then coaching and then accessing capital. Nehemiah gave me a good vision. Really impacts the way that I see doing business. Nehemiah Week not only gives birth to new ideas, it connects us with resources and relationships that makes them possible. But what we want to do is not just affect here in the U.S., we want to take this curriculum all over the world. Whatever it is, the question is, what impact will this have on others? It's something that's going to change lives. So I'm ready to use whatever I have for the benefit of the kingdom of God. I believe that the nations are going to shape for the this week. Biblical entrepreneurship takes a stand to say we are going to be witnesses for Jesus Christ in the marketplace.